0: On this week's edition of New York Now, President Biden travels to Poughkeepsie. Alexis Young reports. Then, State Comptroller Tom DiNapoli joins us with an update on the state's finances. Then, a major chip manufacturer is laying down roots in central New York with help from the state. We'll talk about that and more with this week's panel. I'm Dan Clark, and this is New York Now.
1: Today, the Senate majority will pass legislation. I will fight Good. like hell.
0: Every single day, like I've always done and always like Welcome to this week's edition of New York Now. I'm Dan Clark. The largest ever single investment from a private company in upstate New York is now moving forward. Micron, a company that creates and manufactures high tech smart chips, announced this week that it would set up shop just outside Syracuse that's expected to bring 9,000 jobs to the area over the next two decades, according to the state. And it's not coming cheap, Micron says. It will invest $100 billion into the facility to make that happen. The state is also offering $5.5 billion in tax credits to Micron over the next 20 years. But the company will have to hit certain jobs targets to get them. And the company could also get some help from the federal government. U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer at this week's announcement. This is our Erie Canal moment. Just as the Erie Canal fueled explosive prosperity and jobs in the 19th century, so will these investments fuel explosive jobs and prosperity in the
2: 21st century.
0: And just to note that Schumer is up for re-election this year against Republican challenger Joe Pinion. But the Micron announcement was followed by another big bit of tech news out of New York this week from President Joe Biden. Reporter Alexis Young is here with more. Alexis.
1: That's right, Dan. President Joe Biden was in Poughkeepsie Thursday to tour IBM and give a speech on jobs in the Hudson Valley. IBM has its headquarters in Westchester, but the facility in Poughkeepsie is where the company develops and creates new computer mainframes and other tech products. The company is expected to benefit from federal legislation passed over the last year geared toward tech companies, like the CHIPS Act. The law, passed in July, created new incentives and funding streams for tech companies to boost production in the state's semiconductor and smart chip industries. Biden said Thursday that will help jumpstart the country's chip manufacturing
0: industry. Folks, the future of chips industry is going to be made in America. That's not hyperbole. That's a fact. It's going to be made in America. And making these chips in America is going to create new businesses for countless small manufacturers and suppliers into the supply chain that's going to thrive, all because of this law.
1: IBM has its own history in New York. Indicott in Broome County is known as the birthplace of IBM. The company isn't there anymore, but now plans to increase its presence in New York. IBM CEO Arvind Krishna said the company would invest $20 billion across the region over the next decade.
2: This investment includes breakthroughs in semiconductor technology, mainframe computers, quantum computers, and artificial intelligence. All of this will boost economic activity and create jobs.
1: Some Republicans, but not all, have argued against federal incentives for big tech companies, saying the U.S. shouldn't be spending more to attract and retain that industry. But Biden said that missing those investments now could put the U.S. at a disadvantage down the road.
0: More is going to change for the better in the next 10 years than happened in the last 40 years. We're at an inflection point in world history where the changes are gonna take place in the next 10 are gonna fundamentally alter the way in which we look at the world and our place in the world. And that's not hyperbole, it's real. The state also
1: has incentives for tech companies. So we'll see if the industry continues to grow here in New York,
0: Dan. Thank you so much, Alexis. All right, we're gonna circle back to the week's news in a little bit, but first, It's now been six months since the state legislature passed this year's state budget, and there are a lot of questions about how it's holding up in an economy that's still very much in recovery. And very few people know more about that than state controller Tom DiNapoli, who's up for re-election next month. He's essentially the state's money manager, and his office has a close eye on the state's finances year-round. We spoke this week about the budget his role as a check on state spending, and next month's election. State controller Tom DiNapoli, thank you so much as always. Yeah, great to be with you in person. In person, I love being in person. It makes everything easier and better. So we are about six months after the state budget was passed in April. You are the state's money manager. In that time, we're halfway through the fiscal year of the state. How are we doing right now in terms of finances? The budget is holding together. And uh, Keep in mind,
2: division of budget uh, lowered the projections as to what revenue would be. But in our, our uh, last month's cash report, we're still up by about $157 million, so it's, it's, it's still a bit higher than, it, than anticipated. But I think the challenge is it's a very uncertain time. You see how poorly the stock market's been performing you know, in recent weeks. So I, I think for the rest of the year, we need to be cautious. I think we need to be cautious in our personal lives as far as spending, mm. and certainly for the state as well. Uh, be mindful that as, as, as secure as it seems right now, it might be very different six months from now. Already, we're anticipating a budget gap you know, next year uh, at around $310 million. It's possible those numbers will grow, again, depending on how it looks a month or two from now as we get
0: into the fall. Yeah, I was gonna ask you about the budget gap. So $310 million is a lot of money, but in the context of the state budget, it's not that much money. The state budget is $220 billion. That being said, are we prepared to handle closing that gap right now financially? Well,
2: first of all, we're in better shape because we're finally building up the reserves. Yeah. Uh, You know, which I think you and I have talked about in the past. And New York's done a very poor job of that historically. And Mm -hmm. it's something we've recommended in all of our budget reports. And certainly uh, the voice of the controller has always been, we're not well prepared for an economic downturn. So I'm very pleased that this governor and this legislature did make a commitment to significantly boost our rainy day reserve. So we have that cushion. You know, I would also say on the scale, as you point out, Dan, of, of the size of our state budget, $310 million gap, can be managed even without going to the reserves. There are other ways to make decisions about uh, spending. The challenge is going to be um, if that number grows, number one. Uh, number two, we, we have to be mindful that uh, the federal money that's helped us tremendously, thanks to Senator Schumer and, and the Biden administration, our congressional delegation, that money is will be winding down. And if the economy is not picking up, you know there are many programs that people support, believe in, uh, there were uh, big bets made this year, uh, investments, I should say, in education and health care, childcare. Um, I don't think folks are going to want to see that spending curtailed because much of that is very important to continue the recovery, to get more people back into the workforce. So I think the challenge in next year's uh, budget is going to be whatever the size of the gap is, and we hope it'll be a modest one. How do we make decisions about spending that will keep us on a, a sustainable, uh, path of budget balance in the context of a problematic economy and federal support that obviously is winding down. So I think it's going it's to be a, a, um, a challenging budget debate next year. And of course, we have elections. So depending on who the players are, will there be any changes? Uh, might that impact uh, that whole process? So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a very uh, interesting year next year uh, in Albany.
0: You know, speaking of the budget, historically, this previous governor, Governor Andrew Cuomo, had used the budget to kind of curtail some of your oversight powers early in his administration. And now there is legislation that is before this governor, Governor Kathy Hochul, that would codify that oversight back into law. Um, There was an agreement between you and the governor's office to bring it back, but now this is, you know, putting it in stone. She is deciding to sign that bill in the next couple of months. If she doesn't sign the bill, what do you think the consequences of that are? Well, in terms
2: of immediate consequences, because we do have that memorandum of understanding, which, you know, just in terms of context, you're right. The previous governor, this was a priority for him all under the Uh, umbrella of increasing efficiency, but we're actually very efficient in turning around contracts. It compromised independent oversight, which I think is important to the integrity of a procurement process, a contracting process, uh, important to ensure best value for taxpayers. And it was done not unilaterally. The legislature approved it. We think it's very important uh, for the future, not not not. It's not about me. It's about controllers <laughs> forever uh, to restore this. We've seen too many problems of um, perhaps some decisions that weren't the best ones. We've we've seen some cases of corruption. Mm. Uh, and while no system is perfect, having an additional set of eyes to look at, at these kinds of transactions, I think, is very important. So I think it's key for the governor to sign it. I've been very pleased not only that the legislature overwhelmingly voted in favor of it, but we're seeing just the past couple of weeks. Editorials uh, are coming out very strongly in favor of this, so I'm hopeful. I I know uh, Governor has made a commitment to doing things differently and have have a different atmosphere. I think this legislation, uh, signing it, would be the strongest signal that the governor could put out there that, in fact, uh, the page has been turned and this is an administration that's doing things differently and is open to the kind of accountability that is there to serve the taxpayers. a
0: you know, way, a similar situation during the pandemic where some of your oversight powers were suspended. At the time, Governor Andrew Cuomo had said it was because we had to respond to the pandemic quickly. We didn't have time to go through the Comptroller's oversight process, which you say is very fast. Uh, Do you think that was a mistake? There are now claims that that governor and this governor may have made decisions that were tied to campaign donors, whether intentionally or not. But do you think that was a mistake to suspend
2: that? Well, I mean, I think it's a fair question as to how long should the emergency period have been Mm. in place? You know, it's always easy to look backwards. You know, when COVID first hit, it really was a crisis. I mean, desperate for ventilators and personal protective equipment. I mean, I would still argue, because there are, there are always some situations where, they, where we'd still have contract oversight. When it's an emergency situation, we work closely with the agency that's putting a contract forward to turn it around, sometimes within a day. You know, so I think even at, at the peak of the uh, emergency, we could have uh, added value again uh, you know, by, by having that authority there. You know, Some questions have been raised about certain contracts and, and vendors who um, got a contract approval that gave money, political money. Uh, you know, a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, in New York State, it is not illegal for uh, a contractor or a vendor to make a political contribution. It just right. isn't, right? So, so the, the you look at a, any number of elected officials. A lot of focus right now on the governor, but you could go across the state and look at mayors, county executives, a lot of other folks, and I'm sure you'll find many people doing donations that are involved with procurements, right? At every level of government. I think, you know, and so it, unless you have a clear, we got this contract or this payment because of the contribution, which is very hard to prove. A clear you know, quid pro quo. quid pro quo, as is said, and there are all kinds of court rulings on that. What I really think the answer is, I think is a valid concern. The appearance is, is as important as anything else, right? There is legislation pending, uh, reform legislation, that would say that during a procurement period, if you're participating in that procurement or that bid, you're you're not allowed to give a campaign contribution. And if you receive that, um, if you win the award and you get the contract, uh, six months after that, you can't give. And we could argue about what the right time frame is, but I think it would be beneficial, whether it's 90 days, six months, whatever, where you're precluded from making contributions. I just think it, it would just be a more incredible way of, of, of doing all this.
0: Now, speaking of political season, you're running for another term as state controller. It would be another four years. Wondering if you have anything that you want to do in those next four years, any big goals? I know you're working on divesting the, the pension fund, making it carbon zero by 2040. Yeah. Do you have anything else on your plate?
2: Well, I mean, implementing, fully implementing our claim and action plan with the pension fund is certainly something that's very important to me. I, I think I would also say that that the recovery is not complete here in New York. Uh, so, continuing to monitor trends, giving information to people about, you know, not only the state but each region about how we're performing, what sectors of the economy are, are, are doing better. I think that's uh, an area we want to continue to focus on. I think also there are still many people that are um, really hurting during this time. And, and I think doing more reports and audits to look at issues like uh, food insecurity, that's a big issue out there. Uh, f- uh Housing affordability. W- w- we've done reports, perhaps we'll do more on broadband access, internet access across the state. I think we need to have more thoughtful discussion about all these issues that are complex, and it needs to be presented in a way that's not politicized. So I, I would really hope to position our office even more forcefully uh, or more credibly than we've done in the past as, as a source of helpful information to guide us through this challenging time. So I guess, Dan, it's, it's, it's more of the same, but tailoring it to the times we're going through.
0: You know, is there anything that you would like, I know you say you're not a policy shop, but is there anything that you would like to see the legislature do to expand the powers of your office? Your opponent's main criticism of you has been that you haven't done enough to combat corruption, but I know that there is there are limited things that you can do there. Do you want more power?
2: Well, you know, I would say, first of all, the corruption front, we, we have elevated the role of our investigative unit. We work with the AG's office and, and DA's and, and U.S. attorney's office. So, you know, over the past, oh, I guess over over the decade now, we've we've been involved with cases that have resulted in, in over 200 arrests of elected officials, appointed officials, heads of nonprofits managing public money, and we've gotten back now about 80, over $82 million in restitution. So we're actually very involved in the corruption issue. Um, And sometimes our audits, you know, uncover that. You know, look, would I like to see some of our audits when we make recommendations uh, be, uh, those recommendations actually be enforced or followed? Uh, Because they're not right now. We make a recommendation and the entity that we audit, a state agency, a local government, a school district, they could say, great, we'll implement it. Or they could say- No thanks. No thanks, (laughs) we're not doing that. And we have no ability other other than, you know, shining a light and hoping that that citizens and the press you know, uh, back up what we're saying and, and call, call these uh, entities accountable to deal with what we recommend. Now, should there perhaps be a bit more teeth where um, they, they might be compelled to uh, respond to our audits in a way that is not dismissive? I'm not sure quite how you'd word it, but I guess I, I, I would say if we could strengthen the, the impact that our audits could have, you know, I think that would be helpful. But I think a criticism that we're not on top of the issue is just wrong. Uh, but unfortunately, there's a lot of it going on, and that's why we have DAs in 62 counties, and we have U.S. attorneys across the state. We have an attorney general. We have FBI. We have state police. We're, we're not going to substitute that law enforcement role, but we are going to complement it, uh, and we've been really stepping up for many years now to be a partner with law enforcement.
0: Right. A lot of moving parts. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff. Controller Tom DiNapoli, thank you so much. Thank you, Dan. And we'll be speaking with DiNapoli's challenger, Republican Paula Rodriguez, on next week's show. But moving along now to some big news from the State Department of Labor over the past week. First, the minimum wage in upstate New York will be going up at the start of next year. The new minimum wage north of Westchester County will be fourteen twenty, up from thirteen twenty. And second, we got a decision on the question of overtime for farm workers. The state has accepted a recommendation from a state wage board that will require overtime pay for farm workers after 40 hours in a week. That's down from the current 60 hours and it'll be phased in over 10 years. Leaders from the state's farming industry have said the change will force more farms to scale back operations or close state has defended the decision, saying new tax credits passed in this year's state budget will cover the added costs. Here's what State Labor Commissioner Roberta Reardon told New York Now this week in Buffalo.
3: Everybody else got
0: 40 hours and then overtime, and it, we just had to find some way to equalize that system. But we do think the long timeline will give the, the uh, farmers time to adjust and figure out how they want to staff and, and operate their farms. The first round will lower the overtime threshold for farm workers to 54 hours in 2024. But let's circle back now to the news of the week with this week's panel. It's Keisha Kluke from Bloomberg Government. Thank you for being here, Keisha. Thanks as for always, having me. happy to have you. So, a bit of news that I want to start on is on Thursday, a federal judge struck down part of New York's new concealed carry gun law. Um, It will take effect in three days and may not even take effect because the state says they're going to appeal it, but I'll let you talk about that. But he struck down a bunch of different things, Um, most notably, I think, probably some sensitive locations where we were banning guns, uh, museums, theaters, Times Square, libraries, places that serve alcohol, places that offer services to children. This was really a key crux, I think, to the gun law, because what happened with the Supreme Court— not to talk for this entire segment, but what happened with the Supreme Court is they threw out the state's gun laws, so now New York tried to create this new model, and now it's not working out so well. So what's next?
3: Definitely. Well, they they created this new model which had, like you said, an extensive list of places which basically said—I think even Kathy Hochul herself said it, it would apply to everywhere but, like, maybe some sidewalks, so um, the judge kind of took issue with that, and he also took issue with— um, the, you have to have an in-person interview to get a permit, um, which can create a backlog, and would therefore violate the Second Amendment a right to um, bear arms. And then he also added a line in self-defense, so when they're considering you for a permit, um, they have to say, you know, will you cause harm with said gun, and he said, well, you know, if you're doing self-defense, you may cause harm. Mm. So he added that line in, self-defense. So, um, but the interesting thing is, uh, he knew that the um, Democrats essentially in the state were going to appeal that. And so he put in this temporary restriction for three days, allowing them to appeal it and kind of get the higher courts, um, you know, thoughts on the matter and then go back with it. So we're really kind of in limbo at this point. We'll have to see what the higher court says and then it could go back to him and they could have to make some changes to the law uh, next session, which I think a lot of the Democrats are running on this issue in November. And so that causes a little bit of um, friction there.
0: I wonder what happens with this lawsuit in the long term. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that this law ends up at the U.S. Supreme Court again. And then what if they strike it down, then the state is back to um, the drawing board, essentially.
3: Definitely, and that's kind of the risk they took. I mean, I think no one really knew how far you can go, with the law before the Supreme Court would knock it down again. So I think they really took a shot. And um, you know, the people I spoke to said they were were speaking to constitutional lawyers and trying to get the best advice on this legally. So we'll really have to see where the court goes. Now it also depends on where the court which court they—you know, they can pick which yeah. court they want to go to, and they did choose a court in a very conservative area. So um, I don't know. Maybe their appeal will be elsewhere. <laughs> we'll have to see.
0: I did want to touch on the Micron announcement, but I think I want to skip that, actually, and go straight to the Court of Appeals. You had a story this week, kind of an update on where the search for the new chief judge is. And, and this is just—it's so important to highlight, because this is the person who is the head of the state judiciary. the control of the state's courts. They They also sit at the top of the state court of appeals, the state's highest court. So a lot of power. What's going on with that search?
3: Definitely. So the application process closed at the end of August. And um, because the former judge, Janet DeFiori, put in her resignation early, so typically you would retire. Either the year you turn 70 or right before you turn 70, depending on the timing. And the commission that's charged with looking for your replacement would have a little bit more time to at least solicit applications and, um, you know, really get the best cream of the crop applying. Now, they didn't have time to do that, so they just, you know, solicited what they could, got the applications. Moving forward, they do background checks. They give them, um, I think it was like a nine page questionnaire, so a much lengthier questionnaire. Why would you? Want to be judge? What would you do in the position? That sort of thing. And then they have until um, actually the week of Thanksgiving, so Mm. that'll be interesting, um, to give seven nominees to the governor. The governor has um, between 15 and 30 days to choose her um, appointee, and then that goes to the state senate for either confirmation or they kick it back, and we'll see what happens. So we can expect a new judge probably in January or so. Um, But the Kind of side part of this is that there's calls for a more diverse judge because it is in that top court. We're a very diverse state. Um, They're looking for someone, a lot of um, progressives are looking for someone who's not a prosecutor. And um, typically we've seen these judges coming from, you know, prosecutor backgrounds, um, big law firms, and they want to kind of change that and have this, um, you know, more diverse person. But there's a shortened time. Frame to find that person so it's a little bit of a challenge for the court and they've also had to pick several judges in the last few years it's been a very tumultuous time just with there's been deaths there's been early retirements. so um, Mm -hmm. this Commission's kind of been working on overtime
0: (laughs) how can this person change the state court uh, system and the Court of Appeals Keisha like this person has tremendous power but obviously whoever comes in is going to kind of set the tone from the top down
3: definitely definitely and um, Janet DeFiori was a very interesting person because she was a Republican, turned Democrat, almost, you know, Right before she was picked for this by Governor Cuomo, former Governor Cuomo, and so um, she had sort of a, a conservative um, effect on the court. So I think progressives are hoping for someone that has more of a liberal effect on the court, and lawmakers too. I spoke to um, head of the Senate Judiciary Committee, um, Senator Brad Hoylman, and he said, "You know, when we pass laws, we would like them to stand, and that." Is what the court of appeals is there for? Things like the gun law um, would go up in it, this one in particular went to federal court, but sometimes they can go to the court of appeals. So they're having an effect on you know state law, um, state policies, and even things like vaccination requirements. Um, at the same time, not only are they in charge of the legal decisions, but they're also in charge of a three billion dollar court budget. They have yeah. you know um, I think it's thirteen hundred judges and. Um, you know, 15,000 employees. So you're talking about a pretty wide range. So um, some of the commission members were saying they're also looking for someone with administrative skills as well.
0: That's interesting. Well, you kind of need it. I mean, you're running that branch of government. I would hope that you have some sort of management experience.
3: Definitely. Definitely. (laughs)
0: That's all we have time for. Keisha Kluke from Bloomberg Government. Thank you as always. And don't forget that you can get more news from around New York on our website anytime. That's at nynow.org. Thanks for watching this week's New York Now. Have a great week and be well.